Surprise! We're back, mother. <laughs> oh, what a surprise, Keenan! <laughs> I'm not surprising you. I'm trying to surprise them. Oh, I was surprised. Oh, sorry. Was that surprising? Was that a bit much? I must say, I am honestly surprised that we are back doing this show. It is kind of crazy. How long's it been? I mean, since the last official episode. I think it came out in March. So. Wow. I guess you could say it was a very nice, refreshing break, right? <laughs> you said it, Mikey boy. Feels good to be back, though, doesn't it? It sure does, Keeny boy. What are we discussing again? Honestly, I don't even remember. Uh, oh, wait, no, no, I remember now. Avril Lavigne's Let Go. You mean, let go! What I meant was, let go! Oh, yeah, baby. Yeah, yeah, baby. Yeah. Fucking hell, baby. We curse now, Yeah, so you can suck our and lick our Ew. What do you think, Keenan? Should we? I think after all those vulgarities, I think we're going to have to uh, stay jive in, baby. Let go. <laughs> that went off the rails. Let Go was the debut studio album by Canadian singer-songwriter Avril Lavigne. Canadian, you say, Mike? A. <laughs> I was going to say oi, and then we. That would be wrong. <laughs> Although we could be applicable. Yeah, I suppose it could be. Is this our second Canadian? No, this must be our third Canadian artist after Simple Plan and Sum 41, right? That's right. That's right. And uh, a connection with Sum 41 as I think we previously discussed, Avril Lavigne formerly married to Derek Wibley. That's true. Might come up later. We'll see. Let Go was released on June 4th, 2002 by Arista Records, and it came out when Avril was only 17 years old, which is pretty crazy. For a year after signing a record deal with Arista, she struggled due to conflicts in musical direction. Because of that, she relocated to Los Angeles, where she originally recorded earlier material for the album, the sound of which the label did not approve, which I think was actually the source of some uh, early tension there, Mike. Word. She was paired with the production team The Matrix, which, by the way, cool. <laughs> and apparently they understood her vision for the album. They knew what she wanted to do with it, so they actually worked really well together. That's awesome. Matrix 4 coming out <laughs> probably Ooh. before we get this episode released. That's true. We should go see it. To celebrate actually releasing this episode. Yeah, that'd be great. If you hadn't heard, Keenan, the album was pretty much the biggest pop debut of 2002 and was certified seven times platinum in the United States. Seven. Seven? That's got to be up there, I think. I think we said Dookie was the most sold album so far, but this has got to be up there. It also received multiple Grammy nominations. Grammy? That's like... <laughs> Grammy nominations. Unfortunately, Keenan, another new artist that year was Nora Jones. Mm, Nora, yeah. She's great. She released her album, Come Away With Me, the same year, and pretty much swept every single Grammy category where Levine was also nominated. Tough break. Yeah, that stinks. Sorry, Avril, there was an artist that was so much better than you at the time. 
Letgo has sold over 16 million copies worldwide, becoming Levine's highest selling album to date. So to date, Mike, she can still beat that. According to Billboard, the album was the 21st best-selling album of the decade, Mike. The decade. Wow. That's 10 years. That's probably the last decade people bought CDs, too. <laughs> it had to be, yeah. 2000 to 2010, yeah. I bet you I would be hard-pressed to find an album in the top 20 that I enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. Pop CDs from 20 years ago that sold millions and millions of copies? Probably Actually, not our bag. Uh, think about it, though. It's probably like Britney Spears, Chris Aguilera. That's true. Backstreet, Some Backstreet Boys. Boys. Yeah. yeah. We would listen to that. Justin Timberlake, Justified. Guarantee you that's on there. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt. So Maybe I spoke too soon. Yeah, we probably liked most of them, actually. <laughs> Not pop punk, but still things that we enjoy. Right. We should have reviewed those. So we're talking June 4th, 2002, Mike. June 2002. That sounds a little bit familiar, but what in the world's going on, Mike? Keenan, it might sound familiar because Newfound Glory's album Sticks and Stones was also released this month. You're kidding me. I'm not kidding you. So we have visited this month before, but I think we got a fresh batch of news for you guys. We might. Let's find out. Hopefully nobody's checking. (laughs) (laughs) You got to take seven months off before you hit them with the repeat facts. Yeah, nobody will know. On June 2nd, crime drama The Wire, starring Idris Elba and Dominic West, debuts on HBO. It also starred Michael K. Williams, who just recently passed, Keenan. Yeah, it's very topical. He passed, as of recording, a couple days ago. But I think when this releases, it'll probably be, I don't know, like last month, something like that. And I don't want to put all this on us, but we actually have had these notes written down for months for this album. We have a nasty way of affecting what happens in the world. Yeah, we've killed a few people. And Michael K. Williams is pretty young, too. So a very, very sad loss for the industry. Yeah, hate to see that. Are you a big Wire fan? (laughs) I don't know if you can believe this, but I've started it a a number of times and have not completed it yet. Mm, Shocking. My wife, Abby, it's one of her favorite shows of all time, so... That and The Sopranos, I'm going to get around to eventually. Maybe you and I can do a binge sesh where we watch both of those shows in succession. It's funny you should mention that because I actually have started watching Succession. Have you watched that? Whoa. Uh, no, I have not. Oh, it's a newer show. It's very good. Yeah, um, I've seen commercials for it. Looks great. Yeah. All right. We'll do Wire reviews in between pop punk albums. Love we'll it. Flip flop back it. and forth. Cool. On June 6th. The blockbuster hit The Born Identity, starring Matt Damon, premieres. Matt Damon. I would say one of the bigger action films of that decade, probably, right? Yeah, one of the biggest action franchises. It was Identity, Supremacy. And Old Tomato. <laughs> and Ultimatum. <laughs> the Born Old was... Tomato. Yeah, Old Tomato <laughs> didn't rhyme as well. <laughs> yeah, those were good. I remember one scene, I think, in The Born Identity where... He fights somebody using like a pen and I think a magazine. Like they just grabbed whatever was in the room. Mm-hmm. It's like hotel room and they were fighting. It was this crazy combat scene. Well, you know what they say, Keenan? The pen is mightier than the sword. Hey, look at you. And I think he murdered that guy with the pen. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think this will pl- apply to every news story. But while we were gone, Matt Damon also was in the news for uh, some some dicey interview. Uh, yeah questions or answers i should say his answers to questions 
But he's cleaned up his act. That's the good news. So I've heard. Yeah. That was pretty funny, though. He just openly, like, nobody was really pressing him. He's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I just stopped saying that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was really random. Gave it up for Lent, and it stuck. On June 11th, the TV show American Idol with judges Simon Cal, Paula Abdul, and Randy Jackson premieres only on Fox. This makes you realize how incredibly popular that show was that we've now discussed it. I want to just throw a number out there. Six times, seven times. Oh, at least. In all these episodes. Like, every news story is either about who won, who was a finalist, some drama that happened on the show. And this was actually the date that it premiered, which is kind of cool. This is one where I could have sworn we discussed it previously, but maybe it's just because we have gone over Idol News over the decade that we've been reviewing these albums. But I know we've talked about how big of fans we were. We like to watch it and dial in or text in when that became available to vote for our favorites. (laughs) And boy, did we. Go Ruben. Big Rube. I'm still Team Rubes to this day. Absolutely. I love him. On June 29th, here's a little political history for you, Mike. U.S. Vice President Dick Cheney serves as acting president for two and a half hours while President George Dub Bush undergoes a colonoscopy procedure. Pretty crazy, Mike. Yeah, that is. I, I had no idea this happened, actually. Dude, that's the good old 25th Amendment in action, you know? Presidential yeah. succession. I wonder if they announced that after it was already over with. Definitely. Or if it was like a press release the day before, like uh, for immediate release, the president is going to have a colonoscopy tomorrow. I think that's one of those things that you keep quiet because if your enemies find out, it could get a little dicey. Yeah. This is the two and a half hours on the record that Dick Cheney was president as opposed to the other seven years, 364 days and Hey-o. 21 and a half hours. <laughs> This news story reminded me of the TV show The West Wing. Have you watched The West Wing? No. Stop asking me if I watched (laughs) classic dramas from the early 2000s. I need you to binge watch all these now. I know. That's my dad's favorite show. He'll watch that like every day after work. He'll just sit down and watch an episode of The West Wing. It's so good. I'm almost done with it. I think I'm towards the end of season six and there's seven seasons. But what I was going to say is this topic of presidential succession and who's in command when the president is incapacitated or undergoing a procedure like that comes up a couple times. And it's it's actually one of the main themes in a couple of the seasons. Yeah, I want to check that out eventually. You need to be sure that the president has completely come out from any fog that might have uh, befallen him due to the, the drugs they use to put you under. Because when you come out, you say some kooky things. Oh, yeah. I've I've been pretty loopy before post-operation. It might have been hard for them to tell when W was, you know, actually done being sedated. <laughs> he just acted normal right away. Mike, you're really throwing out the political zingers this episode. I know. Do you remember when he choked on a pretzel? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember all the fun little anecdotes. And here we go, Mike. Our favorite collective segment, Celebrity Weddings. And I'm pretty sure... Last episode, we created a new theme song for this, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, damned if I don't remember it, Keenan. Celebrity weddings, celebrity weddings, celebrity weddings. There it is. <laughs> I'm happy you remember it after six months off. That was perfect. <laughs> Same. 
Thank God that one stuck. On June 6th, former Survivor contestant and talk show host Elizabeth Filarski weds former Boston College quarterback Tim Hasselbeck. They are still married, Keenan. There you go. That's a success story. We should probably check to make sure they didn't break up over the past seven months. That's true. Yeah. Really good point. Also, I love that you said Wed's former Boston College quarterback. You know he played in the NFL, right? I know. (laughs) Like that's his claim to fame that he played for BC. Take it up with (laughs) onthisday.com. Don't tell everybody our sources. Uh, Everybody forgot that. I remember him in the NFL as well, but the main player in this marriage for me was actually Elizabeth Hasselback because she hosted my wife's favorite TV show of all time, The Look for Less. What's The Look for Less? Can I guess, uh, actually? Let me guess. It's you go shopping and you basically shop on a budget. I'm sure you pretty much nailed it, but I just gave you the extent of my knowledge. <laughs> oh. I've never actually watched the show. You don't know but... your wife's favorite TV show? No, I, I, yeah, I mean, we've never watched it together. This was like a high school show. You know, oh, like her yeah, I guess that would make sense, yeah. Adolescent favorite, but yeah, I'm pretty sure it's probably just go to Target, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it was just a big advertisement for target or kohl's and like walmart (laughs) just buying dresses at walmart hey if you buy dress at walmart there's nothing wrong with that you could probably be on this tv show do they sell dresses walmart sells everything that's true i was thinking just uh a 3xl john cena t-shirt that you cut into a dress oh actually that's not bad i'm sure they actually have that on june 11th Musician Paul McCartney of the famed Beatles, Michael, if you've heard of them. Mm-hmm, I have. Wed's former model and anti-landmines campaigner, Heather Mills. <laughs> why are you laughing at that? The anti-landminers. Yeah, why? Fact, as if that's how you would introduce yourself to somebody. <laughs> Unfortunately, Mike, they were divorced in the year 2008. So, only six years. It's a shame. Yeah, I'm sure she made out pretty well, too. Paul McCartney has a lot of moolah. Is he rich? I think he's probably pretty rich. Hmm. Not sure his exact net worth. (laughs) Whatever it was, it's probably cut in half now. Am I right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, let's say half. As she's entitled to, Mike. That's right. It it is her her right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. And on June 15th, actor Charlie Sheen winning Wed's <laughs> actress Denise Richards. They got divorced in 2006. I'm surprised that didn't work out. Yeah, Charlie Sheen was... It's weird doing these references from 20 years ago because he was, only, he was 36 at the time, which is about how old we are now, around there, you know? So it's like, could you imagine marrying Denise Richards right now? I couldn't. I'm picturing it right now, and it does sound kind of nice, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Charlie Sheen was pretty irrelevant until six or seven years later with all the tiger blood and winning stuff. Yeah, what did he do? Was that like the height of Two and a Half Men, or was Two and a Half Men even a show yet? No, it was the height of Two and a Half Men because then they replaced him with Ashton Kutcher. That's right, yeah. Yeah, because he had to go to rehab or So he was very famous then. Yeah. He was, gotcha. he was rich off that show, too, so... Yeah, true. He was probably doing a lot of illicit drugs, Keenan. 
Allegedly. Hey, I'm not one to judge, Mike. Mm-mm, we don't judge on this program. If you like illicit drugs, go for it. That's your choice. And our second favorite segment of these episodes, Mike, Celebrity Deaths. Can we make a theme song for that, too? <laughs> I was going to say, we don't have a song for that one. We should do, like, the Undertaker's theme song. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> yeah. Celebrity deaths. It's so sad these celebrities die. <laughs> okay, I like that. Let's lock that in. <laughs> On June 10th, John Gotti, American mafia gangster and head of the famous, I want to say infamous, yes, Gambino family, dies of throat cancer at age 61. Bummer. Yeah, that's a shame. Did you see that John Travolta movie, Gotti? No, was it good? No, it was actually like one of the worst movies ever made. <laughs> really? Yeah. Hmm. I'm probably going to watch that before The Wire. You should. I'm <laughs> shocked by that because usually Travolta's on point, you know? Especially lately. Yeah, he still churns out the hits. He does. Yeah, I don't know a ton about John Gotti, so maybe I would need to watch that movie to become more familiarized with them. Or you can just watch the TV show Growing Up Gotti, which is about his daughter and her kids growing up post-Gambino family infamy. Ah, interesting. I had heard of that show. Didn't associate the two parties. Yeah, I've never seen it, but I feel like that's a show that my mom and sister probably watched. Somebody oh, in my yeah. family probably watched it. Once the Osbournes was popular, they made a ton of those shows like C-list celebrities yeah. Just filming their house for weeks on end and putting on TV. Just doing dumb celebrity stuff. Yeah, there was one with Gene Simmons for a little bit. Oh, wasn't that like Simmons Family Jewels or something? Yeah, I think or so. Or did I just make that up? I don't know. It sounds great. I think that's correct. <laughs> if not, I should be in I should be marketing these TV shows cuz that that yeah, that sounds good. There was Living Lohan with Lindsay mm -hmm. Lohan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. House of Carters with Nick and Aaron Carter. Yeah. Pretty much all those shows on E and I think like A&E yep. was their big genre at the time. Thematically, Mike, I would say that this album was fairly on point for the times. What were some of the main themes? Keenan, some main themes on this album were relationships, mm. just being yourself and not letting your relationships dictate who you should be, not letting your friends or lovers judge you for the person that you want to see yourself as that's pretty interesting because those themes are i want to say very quote-unquote avril themes and we saw that in the history of this album and when it was produced she really wanted to just do her own thing musically her label was telling her how to write and i think there was some tension because of that so i think the themes actually mimic her own writing process in a lot of ways most definitely there is also themes that you could relate to as an adolescent. Things like feeling alone in the world and trying to find your place. Not really sure how you fit into society as a whole. Yeah, which is interesting because she was only 17 at the time. So like, think back to when we were 17. Those are things that we were totally thinking about. Those are things that we were feeling. I mean, that was just a message straight to a 17-year-old. Yeah, it reminded me of 
aside from the fact that they're both Canadian, what we saw on the Simple Plan album where, you know, they're young and trying to find their place in the world as well. Yeah, very Simple Plan. Having said that, Mike, there were some more mature themes that I noticed when listening to these songs. Like, she talked a lot about, like, these very serious, complicated, toxic relationships. She talked about leaving home. She talked about um, missed opportunities and realizing that you've missed opportunities. I think those are things that a 17-year-old not often experiences. So I was listening to that. I was like, wow, a 17-year-old wrote these? That's kind of different. Yeah, absolutely. And to relate it to another artist we discussed, it reminds me of Tyson Ritter with All American Rejects, where there are some really good lines, and then every once in a while you hear something a little cheesy. Yeah. And you're like, well, they were, you know, they were really young at the time. Like, it's still impressive that they were able to compile all these thoughts into some bangers. Yeah, for sure. So I think a lot of these were aimed at kids our age, middle schoolers preteens, young teenagers. What do you remember about this? What was your experience with the album? My sister, Caitlin, actually was the one who got this album. I think she had asked for it for Christmas or a birthday. And it was one that I always thought that I shouldn't like because it was, (laughs) quote unquote, for girls. Yeah. You know, girl singer, girl music, that kind of thing. And Honestly, I think I've gotten into before, most of the stuff she listened to was kind of girly music, like boy bands, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, things like that. But this was the first CD of hers where when we played it in the car driving places together, I always secretly loved it. It was like a guilty pleasure for me at uh, 12, 13 years old. You're such a bad boy. Yeah. And I came to find out over time that it was okay to like these songs because so many of them became such mega hits and so culturally relevant that yeah you know everybody knew skater boy everybody knew complicated it didn't matter if you were a guy or a gal they were just pieces of the pop culture landscape during this time it's funny you should mention that mike because i associate this with my sister too i feel like she probably owned this album as well i know i didn't and I wasn't sure actually how many of these songs I would remember because I wasn't super familiar with it. Obviously, I knew the singles and the hits. But when I re-listened to it, I remembered almost every single one. There were like maybe one or two that I, I, I wasn't extremely familiar with. So they all came back to me very quickly. So I'm thinking that my sister Chelsea probably did own this album and she probably did play it all the time and I was probably listening to it as well. I found the same thing. I didn't remember or recognize all the titles when I first looked at the track list, but listening to them again, I'm like, I remember this song and um, yeah, I must've heard it a number of times, just never really put the title to it, I guess. Thanks Chelsea and Caitlin. We owe you big time. Sisters rule. Sisters rule. And sometimes drool. That's, (laughs) that's the truth, Keenan. So let's get into it. Big Mikey boy. Track numero uno, Losing Grip.
this one is speaking of my sister caitlin it's her favorite track off the album nice when i asked her for input she said avril didn't have to go this hard to start off the cd ain't that the truth she starts it off and you know that you need to take this chick for real yep yep starts off heavy and really an all-around great album starter in my opinion you know what i would say mike this might be a slight departure from your typical upbeat poppy fun song to start albums i think this one comes in aggressively Mm-hmm. yeah that intro that dun 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 like it sounds like a a pump up music that a boxer or a wrestler would play as their entrance music before a big fight. It could almost become like a hard rock or like a metal song. That's how heavy it comes in. And it carries that through into the chorus too. It's like a heavier song all the way through. Yeah. My first impression of this is, and you'd mentioned this before with, you know, female pop artists, female vocalists of the time. I think she was trying to set herself apart from the classic pop artists like the Britney Spears and the Christina Aguilera. I think she did this on purpose to show that she was different. It was also cool because it, since she was a female vocalist, it sounded very different from the classic male pop punk singers of the time. So she found this very niche space. I was curious to find out that this was the fourth single released from the album. I wonder if after she had the mega hits that we'll soon discuss, if this was a more passionate song for her, because you do feel like it has that personal edge, like you said, wants to set her apart from other people that were popular at the time. Like, I'm a girl, but I'm hard as hell and no frills here, baby. Hell yeah, baby. I will say to that end, Mike, this was one of the songs where she actually wrote it mostly by herself. I'm pretty sure a lot of the pop hits that we're going to hear were written or at least partially written by that production group called The Matrix. And so this was one that I think she actually wrote herself, was able to secure it for the album and said, if if I'm going to write this album, I want this song on there. So I think this is more her style as opposed to the style of the production team, the record label, all the people that were trying to put this album together. I think this was basically one for her. That makes sense because contextually it has a very personal feel to it. Like she's singing directly to a love interest or a friend kind of calling them out for not being there for her when she needed them the most. So it seems like it was written from a personal experience. Yeah. It sounds like the end of a bad relationship, doesn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Feeling abandoned by somebody, somebody who you probably previously loved. I also thought it could have been, there was one or two lines where I thought maybe it could be about a friend who is using you or somebody who you think you have romantic feelings about, but that you're in the friend zone. There was one line where it said, 
Am I just some chick you place beside you to take somebody's place? And I was thinking, oh, is she into some guy who is basically taking her for granted and just thinks of her as a friend, but she wants to be more than that? Yeah, or maybe he has no real interest in her. She's just a rebound to make somebody else jealous and then cast aside when yeah. it's convenient. Something like that, yeah. Either way, I think she as the protagonist feels like she's being used. She feels like a lesser person because of the way that she's being treated. Right, and then she's questioning herself. She's saying, you know, I feel this way, and why should I care? She's starting to trip. She's losing her grip. Yeah, totally. You know, she's alone now, but she's trying to get through it. I feel like this is one of the songs where it might be a little more relatable. I would say even today than when we were listening to this at like, what, 10, 12? Oh, yeah, definitely. I hadn't I hadn't gone through any relationships where I just used a girl yet. <laughs> Those came much later. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Very good point. Thank you. But yeah, definitely a more mature theme. Definitely a more 17-year-old theme than a 12-year-old theme. <laughs> yeah. One thing I do want to mention, Keenan, the bridge on this is one of my favorite parts of the album. Ooh, the bridge is good. It's... The first time she does what I call the Avril Yodel. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, the she says crying out loud. <laughs> And it always has reminded me of, like, the Cranberries or Alanis Morissette or one of those female-driven rock acts of the 90s. I was thinking the same thing. I wrote down that some of the songs of this album sound more like Alanis Morissette. I definitely get Alanis vibes from from this album. And the Yoda will come come up again later. I'm not sure if that's the correct technical term, but you Mm. know what I mean when you hear it. Yeah, let's stick with Yodel. Sure. And then there was a music video for this song, wasn't there? There was. It was kind of an odd one and not one that I had seen, or at least not one that I remember from back in the day. Yeah, this was probably my first time watching it. It's basically concert footage, or actually I should say fake concert footage. It's like them performing, but clearly lots of production, clearly staged. It's like a concert they filmed on a soundstage or something. Yeah, and I was thinking... Could this be just on set or were they maybe at a concert and before the concert, whoever, I don't know if it was, you know, them performing or another band and they said, oh, guys, we need you to just pretend like they're playing. We're filming this music video. I was wondering that. It almost reminded me of, you know, the movie Rudy. Mm -hmm. The last scene when they're playing the football game, that was actually filmed during a Notre Dame football game in whenever that movie came out. Was it the 80s, 90s? I think probably the early 90s, right around there. But I do remember reading that. They kind of just hopped on the field, right? Yeah, I think they either filmed it at halftime or the end of the game, and they told the crowd, hey, we want you to pretend this is a real scene. We're filming for a movie, and they just went into it. And so when I was watching this, I was wondering, like, I wonder if they just told this crowd that if they were at an actual concert, they said, oh, we're going to film this music video really quickly. You all be in it. Just pretend like you're actually at a concert. I don't know. That would be a cool surprise if you go to a concert. Yeah. I did think it was, they probably had to get some waivers signed because she was like throwing fists and elbows in the pit, like moshing out. So That's true. Yeah. I wonder if they're like, Dude. I mean, I wouldn't get, I wouldn't really care about Avril Lavigne punching me if I got in a immortalized in her music video, but. Oh my God. 
if they told me ahead of time you might get punched by Avril Lavigne in this video, I'd be all for it. I would sign sign my life away for that. That's why you get in the pit to begin with to get you know roughed around a little bit. Totally. And another little tidbit I found was this music video was filmed at the Angel Orange Sands Foundation, New York City. I don't know if you remember from the Take Max Sunday episode, but that live performance of Q without the E was at that really cool like church looking concert venue. That's where this was filmed. It was the same exact venue. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. That's a sweet ass venue. Track number two, Complicated. This song was in a league of its own at the time. Massive hit, right? First single, massive hit, rocketed her to superstardom, I guess you could say. And it's a pretty straightforward song. It's about a relationship, but it's just catchy as all get out. (laughs) Yeah, it is. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. This song's about her hating people that are acting fake, right? It's about posers. Yeah, it's, a poser it's about song. posers. It's about her punk love interest that's trying to dress up and prep the clothes. That's right. Yeah. It's so funny the way she says that. It's also funny thinking about like us back in the day, like we totally wore polos and went to parties, dressed in our little khaki pants. Like we were those kids. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're probably right. (laughs) I got to say, though, I always followed the look for less. I always got my polos at Target. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You had to. You kidding me? They were always Murano brand or whatever the (laughs) Target brand was. I think I still buy those to this day. (laughs) Like 10 bucks and they look the same. Highly affordable. Or IZOD. That was a big brand. IZOD. Yeah, that was huge. Yeah. So this song was written by, or at least, again, partially written by The Matrix with Avril Lavigne. And you can kind of tell because it was, you know, a pop hit and they were trying to help her make pop hits. The record label said, Avril, you can have a couple of these songs, but you need The Matrix to really build up your repertoire and have something that the fans would actually like. That's so bad to say. <laughs> I... <laughs> Because I'll hate all your other music, so. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean, Mike. Yeah, have a lead single that they can get behind. Because this is her debut, you know? She doesn't have any back catalog for them to trust. You know, it's kind of, they're taking a chance on her and they want to make sure that they have their first single on lock. And I got to say, I think they made the right call. This worked out pretty well for everybody, I would say. Yeah, totally. 
I actually did read a quote somewhere that said, although she needed pop songs to break into the industry, Levine felt complicated, didn't reflect her and her songwriting skills. Nonetheless, she was grateful for the song as it successfully launched her career. So there you go. I think that's a fair look back from her perspective. Yeah. It's funny because I think this is probably the way that most of us were introduced to Avril, but listening back to this album again, it wasn't really one of my favorites, I guess. Like, it's just immortalized. It's kind of like how when we discussed Fall Out Boy, we both admitted that Dance Dance isn't one of our favorites, but you got to respect it. Right. I feel sort of the same way. Like, I love this song on principle, but combined with all the others, I think there's, you know, other songs that have reached me more over the years. Do you think maybe you're just a pop punk snob at this point? Is that what you're trying to say? I could be. Or maybe I'm just a little upset that, you know, we went to a school called The Prep. Maybe I'm personally offended by it. Hey, there you go. Yeah, that's true. Maybe uh, I'm jealous that Avril is judging me when I strike my pose. (laughs) Uh, Mike, you're so complicated. I really am. This music video really, I think, is what obviously combined with the song, but I feel like this music video is what helped Avril break out because it was the first time that everybody was exposed to the Avril look. Yeah. Which is like the necktie uh, hanging off of her neck and skater clothes and chucks or Yeah, whatever. wasn't she wearing like, I want to say she's wearing like a like a white wife beater and like baggy pants, right? Yep, exactly. Is she? Okay. Yeah. And then it's just them basically causing chaos in a mall that was the other cool part about it was like we looked at this as middle school kids that would hang out at the mall and like you know cause a little bit of mischief we're like oh my god avril lavigne's doing that that's so cool i love this music video it's so good it's just her and her bandmates making life a living hell for retail workers (laughs) yeah which is you know a cool thing to do i was cool back then (laughs) that's what we all did there's some great moments from the video like they're in a sporting goods store and she does a like a double flip and then dunks. Yeah. Like so. Yeah. So unrealistic. But... No, I think that was actually her. <laughs> and then the line I had mentioned before when she says, take off all your preppy clothes. Yeah. Or strike your pose. The bandmates actually come out of a dressing room wearing preppy clothes. Yeah. And she when hated that it. that line is sung. Yeah. She hates it. She, she almost beats them up. She forces them to get changed. <laughs> and then of course. <laughs> Of course, Keenan, for good measure, in between the mall scenes, there are skate park themes. Or oh, yeah. Scenes. I don't even know if it's a skate park or if it's just a ramp or something, but they are definitely skateboarding. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think, aren't they sometimes skating through the mall? I mean, there's a lot of skating. Yeah, well, obviously. As one skating does. Skating is for life. Skate is life, yeah. Of all the music videos... I wrote down that this one really transported me back to 2002. Totally. More than any other. The the combination of the mall and the skate park, even though I never went to a skate park in my life. Or a mall. <laughs> yeah. Those, those uh, archive footages of malls will always resonate with me because, you know, malls are kind of becoming a thing of the past, you know, or yeah. they're more modernized now. I miss the old fluorescent lights and the dim food court with the orange tile floors the montgomeryville mall mike that's where boys become men it really is it's two floors of sprawling (laughs) 
uh, coming of age. <laughs> it is. Uh, but we'll always know our corner with the uh, the hot topic and the pack sun across the way from each other. Oh, yeah. That was our corner. I was scared to go into hot topic for a number of years. Oh, hot topic was where I lived. Just heavy metal and black t-shirts. Yeah. A lot of uh, gothic attire in there. It's great. Yeah. What was your go-to place in the food court at the Montgomeryville Mall? Ooh, that's a good question. Depends what kind of mood I was in. If I was feeling adventurous, I would do the, uh, what was the Chinese buffet called? It wasn't a buffet, but. Probably Chinese buffet. Oh, no. It had a specific name. Oh, you would know it. I can't think of it now. It wasn't now. Panda Express wasn't even a thing. No, it wasn't Panda Express. It was like Panda Express before Panda Express. I do know what you're talking about because I've eaten there before. It was just like. They always had free samples and I always got them. Yeah. Delicious. It was similar to. To Panda Express, where it's like you pick three things and they yeah. throw it in a, in a yeah, to-go yeah, exactly. container for you. Um, if I was feeling adventurous there, uh, what else did they have? I know there was a McDonald's there. Yeah, I think I've eaten at that McDonald's probably more than any other McDonald's. Like that <laughs> Really? Exists. Yeah, because wow. whenever we went to the mall, it was usually with my parents or grandparents. And that was always like a part of it. Like, you know, grab some McDonald's. Yeah, that's true. There was also the Sparrow there. Oh, the Sparrow, yeah. That McDonald's closed, though, so that was kind of sad. Sad day. R.I.P. I also used to work at that mall for a short time at the FYE. That's right. I remember that. So I would scarf down McDoubles (laughs) on my 15-minute break. (laughs) (laughs) Just get my heart racing to return to work. Uh, Yeah, to to stock the shelves with CDs. Yeah. Uh, what a time to be alive. FYE is trying to make a comeback. I'm not sure if it's going to work. Ooh, hey, you should um think about getting your old job back. I don't have the time, man. I wish. Mm, maybe FYE corporate. It's like a passion project. <laughs> yeah. Track number three. What is this one, Mike? Sk8R boy? <laughs> huh. Keenan, I think it's pronounced skater boy. Oh, play that track, Mikey. Another one of the songs by The Matrix, Mike, which, again, they created a super mega hit. Yeah, I think this one ended up being bigger than complicated. Am I right in that? That's a good question. I think if you asked the general population, I think people say that they like complicated better. I personally like Skater Boy better. Skater Boy was my favorite song back in the day. My historic favorite, Mike. Historic favorite. Okay, there it is, fair. Yeah. I think you might be right that they liked complicated better, but I feel like Skater Boy gets referenced more today yeah you're probably right actually through memes or cultural references i think complicated was the bigger song for a long time i think skater boy now is because of those memes i think is now becoming popular again i think there's a resurgence in skater boy and that makes it feel more popular i agree so this is cool because this is a story song mike we love a good story song Keenan, it is so funny you mentioned that because 
I contest that this might be the ultimate story song. The ultimate story song of any genre or the ultimate pop punk story song? Well, I can't think of a contender at this time, so I'll say any <laughs> genre. So the ultimate story song of all time. Okay, lock it in. That's a big deal. It honestly really is up there. It's so good. Yeah, it's all, so good. All uh, jokes aside, it's got to be close to the top. Can you concisely explain the story to me? He was a boy. She was a girl. Can I make it any more obvious? Seems obvious to me, Mike. She was... He was a punk. <laughs> Are you just going to sing the whole song? <laughs> That's how... It's straightforward. It's a straightforward story song. But it is. He was a punk. She did ballet. The crowds didn't mix. Her friends had an issue with his baggy clothes and the kind of stuff he did. She listened to her friends. It didn't work out for her. The guy went on to become a mega super rock star. And years on, he's rocking out MTV. And she's at home alone with a baby her dumbass friends all went to see him play yeah those friends they probably wanted a guy who was wearing preppy clothes right i think they did want his preppy clothes the big twist though is that whoever the speaker is in the song ends up marrying that guy so it's yes. from the perspective of the person that eventually gets with him it is a big twist and i think it's a little bit of punching down because this woman has already married this rock star and she's taking time out of her life to throw digs at this poor single mother who <laughs> didn't go out with him as a teenager. Hey, that's a grudge I would hold on to. I'm backstage at his show. I'm yeah. She's just like, guess what? I'm kissing him. He's going out on stage now. Ha ha. You have a baby. <laughs> have fun with your stupid baby. Now, Mike, I'm going to throw a wrench in your little plan here. Mm-hmm. Okay. I know you said it's a very straightforward song, and there's this big twist where Avril is the singer the whole time, and she's the one who ends up with this guy, and she's looking down on this girl for losing out on that opportunity, right? Right. But I have seen some theories. There have been some theories that have floated around the pop punk scene that there's more to the story than you think. It might not be as straightforward a story song as you say it is. Are you about to blow my mind? Uh, I wouldn't say blow your mind, but I've seen theories that have said that she's actually the guy, the skater boy in this song, and somebody that she liked and was rejected by is actually this guy who had all the preppy friends. And if you think about it, it could make sense. So she, in real life, was a skater girl. Like, that was her actual get up and vibe, right? Mm -hmm. And... Who knows? She could have been into a guy who was a little bit different and and this dude's friends could have rejected her because of that. And she starts the song by saying, he was a boy, she was a girl. Can I make it any more obvious? Like, of course that's obvious. I think she's like playing a little joke on us. Like, it's not that obvious. I think she actually could have reversed the roles. Okay, I'll roll with it. That would kind of tie in with complicated too, because it's Avril telling a boy to take off his preppy clothes. And in this one... It's still the guy that's like too concerned with what other people think of his style and his yeah. whole persona. A guy that doesn't match her style. Yeah. So it could be a follow on from complicated. It could be this role reversal just to kind of mess with our heads a little bit. But I don't know. I've seen theories. There have been multiple theories about all sorts of crazy shit, even way more complicated than that. No pun intended. But I thought that was the most interesting one i thought that was the most compelling one 
And it's from the perspective of the person that she eventually gets with later in life, which, huh, that'd be kind of cool to write about. It would. I'm still going to contend that 17-year-old Avril Lavigne wasn't trying to do this much mental gymnastics with this song, but maybe I'm wrong. Well, when you have the help of The Matrix, Michael. That's true, The Matrix. <laughs> anything goes. How could I forget about that dynamite group, The Matrix? Yeah, Neo and Morpheus and all of them. Yeah. I guess no matter what the true origins of the song, Keenan, the moral of the story is it's okay to be yourself. And you don't have to worry about what your dumbass friends think. <laughs> exactly. Or your crush's friends. Or any anybody, really. Right. You shouldn't be concerned with how others perceive you. Because as soon as your social stature changes, the crowd will follow. Yeah, totally. You don't want to be part of the crowd. Be yourself. Just be you. A couple things, Mike, that I wanted to point out that were interesting about this song. First of all, when they introduce the character of the baby... Where does that come from? It's out of nowhere. It's literally out it's, of nowhere. It's adding insult to injury at that point. Yeah. Like, they're using Baby as, like, this sad pawn in this story. Like, making this person feel and seem, like, so desperate, so at rock bottom. It's like, right. should you really be using a baby like that? Feeding the baby. She's all alone. Yeah. Ha ha. <laughs> like, oh, man. Teenage single mom. Jeez. Yeah, that's why I was saying it's you got the guy or girl or however however this shakes out. <laughs> yeah. Just be happy with your life that you're going to his show and writing songs with him, you know? Seriously. Should we do a poll? Should we see what the fans think if Avril is the guy or the girl in the song? <laughs> sure. Okay, cool. Let's do a poll. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Fine. You know where I stand. Wow. So you're a traditionalist in this sense. And I'm the conspiracy theorist. Yeah. Cool. Again, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I am mis misinterpreting the song. I just think it is what it is. The other thing I want to say, Mike, is is this the first time we're seeing boy spelled B-O-I? Off the top of my head, I can't think of a previous entry into the lexicon. The only other one, and I would be interested to see which came first, although I think I might know the answer to this, is Big Boy from Outcast. He might have been the originator, oh, but I think yeah, this... You're right was probably close. I think Avril at least popularized it. But it's so funny because like B-O-I, boy, that's so yeah overused now. Boy, yeah. Boy. Interesting. So, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, you see it everywhere now. When we uh, when we had Jack on his birth certificate, it said sex, boy, B-O-I. <laughs> <laughs> you can thank Avril for that. Or maybe Outcast. <laughs> we don't know. Let's do a poll for that too. Which came first? <laughs> Big Boy from Outcast or Skater Boy from Avril? That's a poll I can get behind. Cool. How about the music video, Mike? What'd you think? Music video for this was uh, actually pretty freaking cool. Flash mobs before flash mobs, right? Yeah. it uh, It's kind of an impromptu concert that I think it was shot in LA, like just in the middle of an intersection, right? At least partially, yeah. Yeah, and she's promoting the show via flyers and posters and then they show up and they just start rocking out on the roof of their cars yeah right in in that intersection yeah it was cool it was almost like a shout out to the underground punk scene because they're telling each other about this show via these underground methods and then all of a sudden there's this big mob in the middle of this humongous intersection so i think it was a shout out to like this underground scene these underground concerts 
all these kids that are typically not out in the open about this type of music and this culture. So I thought that was cool. Yeah, and the concert gets so out of hand that helicopters have to come and disperse the crowd. Yeah, you know how those uh, pop punk flash mobs go, Mike? They always end in a helicopter standoff. Always. <laughs> she did smash a windshield with her guitar, so yeah, there was property damage involved, Keenan. So that, punk rock. That could uh, result in, a, in a, at least a fine, I would think. Oh yeah, if not worse. What I thought was really funny about this video, which stood out to me, was there were so many old school things in it there were so many old school pieces of technology like mm-hmm. there were old school camcorders there was an electric organizer and actually i think it was like a product placement but do you remember those like handheld organizers yeah like a palm pilot it was basically like a palm pilot but yeah this one literally said motorola time port on it and i like had one of those i think my parents got me and my brother and my sister like me and my brother got blue ones my sister got a pink one it was like the stupidest little tiny handheld thing where you literally could just put stuff in a calendar and it might have had like a game or two on it, but it looked just like the Motorola Time Port or whatever it was called. I wonder what kind of uh, plans Keenan Clark had to write down back in 2002. Oh, it was uh, 9 p.m. Listen to Simple Plan, 10 p.m. Cry, 11 p.m. Sneak Out of the House. There was a, yeah, I had a system back then. Run away with Shane. Yeah, we just run away together. <laughs> our our pom-poms would link up and we would know when to run away. Oh, man. To be in that Clark household in the early aughts. What a time. <laughs> it was something, Mike. Track number four, I'm With You. There's nothing but the rain. No footsteps on the ground. I'm listening, but there's no sound. Isn't anyone trying to find me? Oh, won't somebody come take me home? It's that damn cold night. And trying to figure out this life. I want you take me by the hand, take me somewhere new. I don't know who you are, but I, I'm with you. Hmm, who do you think wrote this one, Mike? It was a single, Keenan, so based off of the first two singles we discussed, with the fourth single being Avril's, I'm going to guess The Matrix. There you go, Mike. That's the recipe for success there. You found the formula. So singles one, two, and three were Matrix times Avril songs, and then on the fourth single, they let her, you know, take her own show on the road. Let loose, baby. This is... My historical favorite, Keenan. Hey, there you go. I remember really loving this song at the time. It's a slower song. She does say a curse word in it. She says, damn. That was big time back then. It was. And back in the day, my sister and I would sing damp cold Mm, night. Smart. Instead of damn cold night to get by the censors, which were (laughs) Melva and Tim. (laughs) Nice. That is, I'm sure you really tricked them. Yeah, I don't even think they cared. I guess we were just 10 and 12 and thought damn was really the height of all uh, verbiage that we could possibly sing in the car. It certainly wasn't a nice word. So you said this is your historical favorite. Can I tell you who else's favorite this was? I would love to hear that. Big fan of the show. Somebody who texts me after many of the episodes. Friend of the show, Brian Delaney. Oh. His historic favorite. Nice. 
he texted me after last episode. I feel so bad because he texted <laughs> me and said he had like just gotten into the podcast and he was like, Hey man, like great episode. I loved hearing Patrice. Like got to tell you, I'm really excited for Avril. And I was like, here's the thing. D bones. I got some bad news for you. We're about to take six months off. So you're going to have to wait. And he's like, Oh man, I was so excited to talk about it. He's like, I didn't really love skater boy. I didn't love complicated, but I'll tell you what I'm with you was one of my jams back in the day. So yeah. This is one of his favorites. This one's for you, Brian. Historical favorite and maybe current favorite. We don't know. Yeah, I'd say probably both. I'll check in. I'm sure he'll text me after this. It was a slow jam, Mike. It's a ballad. It's a slow jam. It always reminds me, this is really irrelevant to everybody else's experience, but back when we were CITs at camp, we went to Dorney Park each summer, and I remember they were playing this in the line (laughs) for Talon. (laughs) <laughs> what and i just remember everybody was like getting into the song while we were waiting in line for talent are you serious yeah you so remember that I, yeah that's still what i think of when i hear this song that's amazing yeah what a cool memory and also yeah really uh really dates the song yeah it does because at the time that must have been like 2004 or 2005 and yeah. i think i remember thinking oh this is an old song and it's like three <laughs> years old <Yeah. laughs> time moved much slower back then oh yeah totally thematically what would you say this one's about well back in the day i thought it was more generally just about feeling alone in the world like it was a very simple plan theme of you know i'm just a kid life's a nightmare Mm -hmm. and which by the way is extremely relatable for a middle schooler you would listen to the song and be like oh my god she gets me i am alone in this world nobody else gets me but i also thought it could have been about like wanting to be with somebody specifically like oh there's this person out there that you just wish you could be with. But when I was listening to it again recently, I think it's more just about trying to find somebody out there who feels the way you do. I just wonder if that person's out there as opposed to, oh, I'm trying to find whoever, Brittany. Right. It's a song about that searching, that line right before the chorus, isn't anyone trying to find me? Won't somebody come take me home? It's like you're a puppy at the pound just waiting to meet your your owner for the, you know, to start the rest of your life. But you can't do that on your own. You need somebody to come find you. Yeah. And you're just hoping that person's actually out there. You haven't met that person yet, but there's got to be somebody out there. And it's like, is there anybody who shares these same emotions and experiences as you? Right. The more you think about it, the more sort of complex it is. But it is. And it goes back to what we've discussed in the past with the weather playing an effect on your emotion. You know, you're feeling alone. And on top of that, it's a damn cold night. Damp cold night. Damp cold night. Yeah. It's rained recently. Yeah. It's a little foggy, but... Sorry. (laughs) 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 This song also features the return of the yodel, Keenan. Yeah, it does. It's in the bridge, I believe. And I will say it's probably the most fun hard to sing along to like this song in general is a great sing-along song like at a party or karaoke or whatever but those yodels are near impossible to hit you always try though you gotta try the yeah 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 <laughs> like you can't do it without like i can't do it at a full volume well, i think you just nailed it actually but i can't do it at, with my voice at full volume it has to be like a whispered <laughs> like a dog whistle <laughs> I could watch you do that several more times. That's how much I enjoy that. Next time we do karaoke, I'll choose this song. Perfect. That'd be great. It's always a crowd favorite. At least you know that. That's true. Safe bet there. Why is everybody-
So there was a music video. There's a lot of music videos on this album because there's so many singles. Yeah, she really did a good job putting out music videos, but this is another one where it reminded me of that something corporate song. There was a something corporate music video where it's just somebody walking and riding the train by themselves. Yeah. And then they find themselves in a crowded concert. However, it's a little bit different. That was Punk Rock Princess. That's right. Punk Rock Princess, which perfect because right after we discussed that song, we, we compared Avril as being Punk Rock Princess. Yeah, that's crazy. But in this one, she's walking alone on the street and then she finds her way to a party. But there's a bunch of creeps there, like pretty gropey kind of guys <laughs> just like drinking and trying to grab at her <laughs> yeah. which you know kind of uh made me like ugh, <laughs> <laughs> like inappropriate you know like poor avril that's what the guys with the pop polos would do you know that's right just yeah go to parties to grope girls yeah it was the uh preppy guys yeah and you know, that wasn't her scene. She wanted to find something real, not like a physical like hookup. She wanted to find her person, you know? Yeah, what I thought was cool about the video, Mike, you had mentioned that she's like, she has basically all these antagonists around her. And, you know, she's at this party and she keeps bumping into people. It was kind of cool. Like, she's basically walking against the crowd. Everybody's walking in one direction. She's walking through them in a different direction. Mm-hmm. And then she's on the street and she's walking alone. And... I don't know. I thought it was very reflective of what we knew about her during the writing process, what we knew about her at the time where she was constantly battling to just get her voice out there and she wanted to do her own thing and everybody was trying to work against her saying, oh, you can't write music like this. You can't write themes like this. You have to do it a specific way. And she was always just going against the grain, going against the crowd. And I thought maybe that was like, oh, she did that on purpose. This was like her saying, this is what I'm dealing with right now in my life. I could see that for sure. I thought it was really cool. It, again, very Avril Lavigne. Track number five, Mobile. Or is it Mobile, Mike? <laughs> I was thinking maybe Mobile. Is that how Canadians said cell phone back in the day? Actually, what I think she's talking about in this song is a mobile. So we have <laughs> Mobile, Mobile, and Mobile. Did you pick up on that? I did too, yeah. Well, let's, okay, let's play the song and then let's discuss. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to get ahead of ourselves. So real quick, before we even get into that, Mike, I have a very quick hit doppelganger here. I'm not even sure it's that good, but when I put this song on, I immediately thought of another punk rock princess. Ooh, okay. Hopefully you can hear this. The intro to this song, the chord progression, is like a sped up version of Ashley Simpson's Pieces of Me. At least that's what I heard. I literally heard it right away, and I had to Mm. turn it on. And when I listened to Pieces of Me, it's clearly different, but like... I don't know. They're so similar. The corporation's so similar. Maybe the themes are similar. I don't know. But it just kind of reminded me of that song a little bit. Shall we take a listen? Yeah. Let's listen right now. Go. All right. Here's Avril.
And here's Ashley. I like the way you set up the songs. It was so like subtle. <laughs> Thank you. It was almost it was almost sexy. Thank you. It was subtle and sexy. Keenan, stop. <laughs> Sorry. This was the fifth single, if you can believe that. Jesus, so many singles. And to get back to your point, like, yes, I think she was referring to a mobile in a baby's room because there's a line that says Hanging from the ceiling, life's a mobile. Yeah. Spinning round with mixed feelings, crazy and wild. So, like, hanging from the ceiling, like, that's, you know, you hang it above a baby's crib to help them fall asleep at night. So When the song started playing and when I read the title of the song and when I was watching the music video, I just thought it was about cell phones. And, like, we called them mobile phones back in the day, right? So I was like, oh, this is about her on the road. It's about cell phones. And then I listened to the chorus and I was like, this is clearly about a mobile. She feels like she's just spinning around. Just spinning around with no real direction out of control. Exactly. Yeah. But then she pronounces it mobile. Right. Yeah. That's what <laughs> so, always threw me. I don't know. The whole thing's confusing. I mean, I guess part of me always thought it might have been just mobile. Like she's always on the move. She's always on the go. Yeah. That's what I was thinking too. It could be, yeah, another but, explanation. Uh, yeah, I don't, Avril, yeah, you stumped us here, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Call in, please. We need to know what's going on. What do we have? We have four interpretations, basically. Yeah. Being mobile, like on the move, cell phone, spinning toy, and then her weird way of pronouncing it. <laughs> right. Did The Matrix do this song with her, or was this her own? Uh, That's a good question. I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> we don't have that st stat for every song. No, I think... It was the fifth single, so it was probably just one of her own. Yeah, it could have been. Although, if I had to guess, I don't know. This one's different. Like, this one is a more, like, folksy, poppy. It almost was bordering on country. Didn't you get kind of, like, a country vibe? Like, it sounded almost like a Sheryl Crow song. Yeah, I could like, see that. Like, really Sheryl Crow. Mm-hmm. Great, like, sing-along song. It is a good sing-along song. A really catchy chorus. I did like the content of the song. I thought... I could definitely relate to 17-year-old Avril here, just being young and another song about kind of leaving your home and not really knowing where you're going, yeah. not really being sure of your place in life yet, and all that control and comfort that you had previously is kind of fading. Yeah, it's about leaving home, which so many pop punk bands have covered before. Yellow Card talked about it. Mm -hmm. um, it reminded me a lot of something corporate. I woke up in a car because that was yeah. all about being on the road, being away from home. That's what this was about too. And this song in particular reminded me of that feeling of when you leave home for a while, like when you move away to college and then you come back home and you're seeing like your hometown and your friends and everything's kind of just a little bit different. That's what I was getting from this song. Like she's coming home and everything's just changed just a touch, but she's happy to be there, but it's all like, oh, this is it's not quite what I remembered. Right. Everybody has new, separately lived experiences, and you're excited for them, but you don't necessarily 100% care. Yeah. Like, it's like, oh, great, you made new friends. Like, I remember, I guess that's true of us. Like, you know, we would tell stories about our college friends and, you know, 
different stories we had, but we always kind of return to our shared experiences, you know? Yeah. I think that's the greatest bond. And I could see that being weird if you've been gone for a while and you come home. And especially if a lot of your friends have stayed at your hometown and you've left, it's like you missed a lot. Oh, yeah. So you've missed a lot of those shared experiences. And maybe you feel like your home isn't really your home anymore. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's interesting for her because, as we know, she was signed to this record label. She tried to create this music in her hometown. And because it wasn't working out, because she couldn't find the right sound, She's basically forced to move to L.A. because of that. And Mm -hmm. so she probably wrote this song as soon as she landed in L.A. and she was sitting in her new house or apartment feeling homesick. She probably just banged this one out. So it was probably just something that was so relevant to her at the time. We'll hear more about our hometown in a later song, too. Yes, we will. Real quick, Mike, can we agree that of all the music videos on this album, this is probably the lamest? It sucked. (laughs) I... (laughs) I read that it was actually unreleased. Oh, was it? Yeah, I don't oh, think I didn't it was realize. actually sent out for rotation on like TRL. I certainly didn't know it. I was watching it the first time and I was like, is it really just going to be her walking on an open street for four minutes? And it was. I think we can say she probably wrote this one herself and it looks like she made the music video entirely on her own yeah. as well. <laughs> Completely like, produced by her. Yeah. Like we could have made this music video. <laughs> yeah, totally. She's just playing guitar on an empty desert road. Yep. Walking. Hey, it's probably how she felt. Yeah, I guess. For a song that that depicts chaos, it's a pretty boring ass <laughs> slow moving <Jeez>. video. <laughs> I didn't know you were gonna be that savage I'm go- about it. I'm going in on <laughs> the mobile video. <laughs> mobile, mobile, mobile. Uh Oh, no, I didn't want to get canceled the first episode back. Yeah, you are canceled. Track number six, Unwanted. The 17th single. Sounds like that baby from uh, Skater Boy. (laughs) Oh, man. Who could ever unwant Avril, Keenan? All I do is want her, Mike. I just want more and more of her. I feel the same way, if I'm being completely honest. This was another heavier song, right? The intro is a lot heavier than the previous ones that we just listened to. It reminded me a lot of Losing Grip, which was the obviously the first song on the album that we decided was one of the heavier ones, too. Those two songs, I'm pretty sure, actually represented the direction that she wanted to take. I think this song and... Losing Grip were the two songs that she wanted 100% to be on this album, and they were totally hers. Yeah, this is definitely as heavy, if not heavier, than Losing Grip. And I think thematically they follow a similar feel, at least from what I got out of it. Just that relationship that fell apart or didn't work out, and you're left feeling used or discarded or like you wasted your time essentially. Did you think this song was about a specific relationship or could it just be more generally about not being accepted by 
I don't know, society, your friends, your classmates. I thought maybe for her, the music industry. I don't know if it was necessarily one or the other. Do you think relationships? I thought relationship and I kind of got a mixed feeling about this one. Parts of it made me think it could be like a first date or a new relationship where you realize that the other party's uninterested in you from the start and you feel low on yourself for being unwanted. Like there's one line that said, all that I did was walk over, start off by shaking your hands. That's how it went. I had a smile on my face and I sat up straight. So that made me think like introductory pleasantries that are exchanged at the beginning of an awkward first date. And the other person you can tell right off the bat is just a dud for whatever reason. Oh, that's interesting. See, I actually read that line and it made me think that it was more about her life and not being accepted by whoever, the music executives, Mm. general society, like shaking hands. That sounds like it's more of a professional business type of relationship. There's another portion of the song, Mike, that said, I tried to belong. It didn't seem wrong. My headaches. It's been so long. I'll write this song if that's what it takes. So she's saying, okay, I'll write this stupid music if that's what it takes to become famous and popular. I'll do whatever you want me to do. So I thought maybe this was a shot at like the music label and the music executives. I actually like that a lot better. You could say that the same awkward formalities that you would have on a first date could be the same ones that you would have in a business relationship or speaking to higher ups that you might not feel comfortable around, especially given the perception that you feel they have of you and that bridge is that that kind of nails it i think really that makes me think entirely this is about her career and her direction as an artist and how the industry perceives her well i think what's so cool about the two different interpretations is you and i when we originally listened to the song we probably just assumed it was about a relationship because we were you know middle school kids high school kids and we were thinking that's all that we can relate to at the time. But now that we know a little bit more about the history of the album and her own writing process, it could be that too. So it's cool. Once you know a little bit more about the history of the song, you see this totally different perception of it. It's interesting. That's why we do it, Mike. For the love of the game. For the love of the game, for the love of the audience. Track number seven, Tamara. Not today, Tamara. Is this song about Tia and Tamara Maori? <laughs> I think it is, yeah. Also very popular at the time, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, man. That was such a good show. Sister, sister. Uh. Wait, watch that tonight. I think it's on Netflix. Is it? Pretty sure, yeah. It was as of like two months ago. Okay. I need to start The Wire tonight. <laughs> All right. I'll start Sister, Sister. You start The Wire. Let's see who gets further. Perfect. I try to believe you. Not today, 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 today. I don't know how I'll feel tomorrow. 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 I don't know what 
Okay, Mike, it's not about tea and Tamara. It's about the day after today. What's it really about, Mike? Uh, well, Keenan, if you want me to be frank with you, I think I'm just going to tell you uh, what I think it's about, and then you can tell me what it's actually about. <laughs> what? I don't know what it's actually about. I took it as a song about giving somebody a second chance or having a second chance at a relationship. From my perspective, it seems as though that this guy is always telling her things are going to be one way and they always go differently than what he says. And Mm -hmm. she's trying to salvage some of this, but she isn't sure if it's worth it because today isn't a good day, but she's hopeful tomorrow might be different. Yeah. So I don't know if that if that vibe came across your airwaves as well. Yeah, no, I totally felt that. Clearly there's a disconnect in this relationship, right? That's what you're trying to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought that she Was there a disconnect in my analysis? <laughs> no, I think you uh connected perfectly. I think there was a solid contact there, Mike, as they would say in a what's that sport that we love? Oh, baseball. America's pastime. Oh, uh, love it. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think there's clearly something going on in this relationship. I think for her, she's very depressed in this relationship. And the person that she's with is trying to help her through it, but it seems like they're only making things worse because they don't fully understand it. That was what I heard. And it actually reminded me a lot of a lesson that I learned in my own life, Mike. An ex-girlfriend of mine, when she was having problems, I would constantly try to fix it. And she told me one time that Sometimes she wasn't looking for somebody to fix the problems, Mike. She was looking for somebody to just listen. Mm. And oftentimes I would make it worse, Mike, believe it or not. So (laughs) I thought that's what Avril was saying. She was like, don't try to fix all my problems. You don't understand what I'm going through. I just need somebody to listen to me. I think everybody has had relationships where it could be a good relationship, but there are moments when it's like, I don't need you to solve all my problems for me. I just need you to be kind of a sounding board for... Me getting these things off my chest. Yeah, totally. So that's relatable to me today as of uh, as of several years to a couple years ago. Okay. <laughs> that narrows it down. <laughs> yeah. Um, the one part of the song, Mike, musically that I always loved, the not today, today, today mm, part, Mike. How about yeah. that harmony? What would you think of that? It's beautiful. And that... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, the the end of this song is really nice. Like that part of the verse and the final thought that tomorrow it may change. The harmonies are nice and there's also the return of the little yodel if yeah. if I'm hearing this correctly, the hey yeah yeah. Yeah, that's it. You hear that? Nailed it. Yeah. Is that Avril? Am I speaking to Avril right now? <laughs> <laughs> no, this is actually me as a boy saying that I liked a girl. Oh, gotcha, okay. Who did ballet.
Final little tidbit, Mike. This was featured in an episode of Smallville. And I think oh my God, a lot of Kenan. pop punk songs have been featured in the TV show Smallville. We talked about Tom Welling getting married and divorce. Yep. It might have. have been our last episode. Every episode feels like it was our last episode. We also talked about him being the doppelganger for Tyson Ritter from All American Rejects. Right. But I remember in the celebrity weddings portion, we said <laughs> something about Tom Welling and we'll talk about him again in five episodes. And I'm pretty sure it's <laughs> yeah. been like one episode. I think it's one. Yeah. I think we literally just <laughs> talked about him. Yeah. Yeah. It's Smallville comes up a lot. He comes up a lot. I actually think weirdly, I think the All American Rejects were in an episode of Smallville. Did we talk about that yet? I'm almost positive they performed like in the show at like a prom or something. I swear. Interesting. I'll look it up later, but we'll look into that. But well. even if they weren't, this song definitely was. Yes, it was. Honestly, it's a pretty song. It's a nice uh, pacer on this album, I think, because Unwanted's heavy, and we're going to find out the next song is a pretty upbeat track as well. So I think it's a nice pace about halfway through the album. And Mike, I think you're talking about track eight, Anything But Ordinary. I most certainly am. This song's really good, and I'll just throw it out there, Mike. I know I mentioned that Skater Boy was my historical favorite, because I guess we're just doing that now. (laughs) (laughs) But this song, I actually had to listen to like three or four times before I moved on to the next one, because I loved it so much. This is my current favorite, Mike. Current. Today's favorite. Keenan, this hasn't happened often. Are you about to say what I think you're going to say? I think I am. I can't remember the, the first time it happened. Was it? I think it was Reliant K. I think it was Reliant K, yeah. I don't think it's happened since, and uh, it might never happen again. But, Ken, this is my current, not historical, but current favorite song. Oh, my God. Amazing. I cannot wait for the day, Mike, when all the stars align and our historical favorite and our current favorite are both the same. <laughs> that will be a magical day. <laughs> It will be. So tell me, like, why do you love this song so much? Uh, Well, kind of similar to what you had mentioned, I had to listen to it over and over again. It is the catchiest song on the album, in my opinion. I have no idea how, with all the singles that were put out from this album, how this wasn't one of them. Because yeah. I could see this being a very radio-friendly single played constantly. It It's like an earworm that gets stuck in your head. And it was one of those songs where it's like, like we talked about with our sisters listening to it when we were younger. I don't remember if I had heard it a bunch growing up or if it just felt like a familiar song because of just how immediately addictive it was. Yeah. Hearing it again. It was... can't say enough good things about it. Like yeah. I've added it to some personal playlists since we first started listening to this. And it's like, 
it's a good ass song. No cap. I think what makes it so good is musically it's great. It's super catchy. Feel good song. But also the theme is good. I think I was like reading the lyrics as I was listening to the music and it just it just kind of blew me away. The two themes that I picked up on were the first one was again very Avril being yourself, being unique, not conforming to what the people around you want you to be. Mm-hmm. And two was essentially just living life to the fullest. I think those were the two that stood out in this song. Just wanting to enjoy life and just wanting to have a good-ass time. Yeah. Have fun, baby. Sometimes just being alive and enjoying the little things is enough. Like, it, you know, you don't have to overcomplicate things. It's like, it's a feel-good song for me, I think. It's yeah. a, an encouraging song. For sure. When we're at our darkest, lowest moments, Mike, this song will pick us back up. I also want to introduce another one of our favorite segments, Mike, Cooking It Up with Susie Cook. Oh, Susie. Our vocab lesson. Uh, Do you want to try to do, you should try to do a theme song for this too, Mike. Let's hear it. What do you got? Um, Should it be like, like a cooking song? Like a... could do c is for cookie <laughs> vocab with Susie cook <laughs> that's pretty good uh I have to dig up that uh, cookie monster song now i guess uh i think it's in the bridge when she just starts listing off big oh words my God. i think because she as a 17 year old she probably thought they were just cool sounding words but yes <laughs> yeah here are the lines <laughs> that this world is a beautiful Accident, turbulent, succulent, opulent, permanent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't know. Does that make sense? Am I missing something? Or were those just words that kind of sounded similar? I don't think succulents were as trendy as they are <laughs> nowadays. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think so. No, you're absolutely right. I, My takeaway, I love this song, but the bridge is just absolutely ridiculous. Like <laughs> It's just nonsense. Just, just because words <laughs> kind of rhyme with one another, you don't have to use them all at once. They don't even rhyme. It's just that they all end in like E-N-T and, or A-N-T. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, whatever, something about this song stood out, Mike, and maybe maybe it's just that, you know? Maybe it's just so unique. So, are you going to define all those words for us, or are we just going to let oh. let Susie do that? Oh, wait, I forgot. No, we'll just have her, uh, she'll do a follow-up, and she'll define them all. I don't know. You think I know what opulent means? Come on. I'll be honest. I was going to say, I know what most of them mean, but I don't really know what opulent means. Okay, I think I actually do know it. Opulent, I'm pretty sure, just means, like, rich. Okay. If you have opulence, you have a lot of riches. It's ostentiously rich and luxurious or lavish. And you know what? There you go. Thank you, Susie Cook, for me knowing that. It's all her. I bet that was one of our vocab words. I could put like $100 on that. I would take that bet. Thank you, Susie. Love you. 
Thanks, Sue. Sue. <laughs> Thanks, Miss C. Track number nine, Things I'll Never Say. Mike, what are some things you'll never say? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> what are you talking about? You literally said it like 10 minutes ago. I heard you. Well, how about things I'll never say ever again? Perfect. Starting now. So the intro of the song, Mike, did we hear more Alanis Morissette's yodeling or what? Did she do it again? <laughs> Pootie Tang has done it again. I think she has. I think she's done it again, Keenan. <laughs> she loves it. She can't get enough of it. But it works. Da 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 da. <laughs> the intro is da 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 da. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yodeling, Mike. <laughs> that's what uh, that's what I hear every morning when Jack wakes up. <laughs> da 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 da. Bitch, get in here. Get me out of this crib. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, is that just a Canadian thing? What the yodeling? Yeah, I guess it must be. Yeah. You know what I think of when I think of yodeling? Uh, the taste cake things, the pastries, the yodels. <laughs> you would think because I'm a fat ass, but no. <laughs> I think of Mr. Bones, the principal from Doug. Oh, because he yodels. That's right. Yeah. I think his name was Mr. Bones. In like the German or Austrian outfit. Yeah. The whole uh, Lederhosen. Lederhosen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's right. I forgot about that. Good so memory. I don't know. Is, is yodeling a Canadian thing? I don't know. The theme song of Doug also has a lot of nice... Uh, I wouldn't call it yodeling, but it's got a lot of good, like, do-do-do's, you know? Great harmonies. Great harmonies. Let's listen to it real quick. Beautiful. So is this song, I don't know, I think it's about young love and trying to find the courage to tell somebody that you like them or you love them, right? It's about like building up the confidence to do that. Yeah, it's that nervousness that that onsets when you're first crushing on somebody. We see tugging at my hair, pulling at my clothes, trying to keep my cool. So it's like cheeks burning, turning red, searching for words inside my head. Like it's a cute little ditty. It, it does a pretty good job of relating those nervous emotions that you feel as an adolescent feeling uh your heartstrings pulled for the first time. Totally. Mike, when was the first time you said I love you to someone? That's not your family. These stories always are lame as fuck because <laughs> it was probably just Abby. Do you remember though? Uh, Yeah, I actually do. Do you want to hear the story? Yeah, let's go. That's why I asked. It was a sleepover at Monica Gennardi's house. Shout out Ooh. Monica. Shout out Mosers. Yeah, it was probably over spring break because uh, we have officially started dating in february so probably sometime you know one or two months later well you know spring break very romantic time so it was a very romantic time we were in 
We are on the floor of the workout room. <laughs> Extremely romantic. <laughs> yeah, you know the workout room. Oh yeah, some great memes in that room, just <laughs> hanging out. Uh, but I have pictures of us in that room. Yep, us and Dave. We're like tagged in pictures in that room on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, we're just lifting each other up. <laughs> yeah, that was a good night. We'll try to find one of those for the Instagram post. Yep. But yeah, I remember, uh, you know, it was a fun night with all of our friends. I woke up the next morning and I just rolled over and I'm like, I don't remember exactly. I think I just said, I love you. <laughs> and then, um, but she didn't say it back. Ooh, and it was like. That is soul crushing. Here's the thing that uh, that is frustrating. She said it like two days later. Oh. I'm like, why couldn't you have just said it right after <laughs> I said it? <laughs> she needed two whole days to think about it. That's not a great sign. People put a lot of emphasis on saying that, but it's like, it's okay to lie. For sure, yeah. Like, who gives a shit? <laughs> like, Yeah, it was like, not a big deal. Either she thought it was like a pretty good thing we had going on, or she was like, like, if you're trending towards loving somebody, I would just say it, honestly. Yeah, you might as well just bang it out. If someone says it to you, just cut them a break and say it back. Yeah, it was always just funny to me because I know she had... After I said it, she put some thought into it, and like a day or two later, she's like, "Hey, I just wanted to say that I love you too." I'm like, "Great, glad it, glad you, uh, you know." <laughs> you should have been like, "Too late." Yeah, too late, bitch. Yeah, so you should have said to your future wife. That's a nice story, Mike. Yeah, I didn't throw it around too often because no girls really liked me. But what about you? Who did you say I love you to first? Haven't said it yet, Mike. Really? Yeah. Is that for real? No, but I'm just going to plead the fifth because <laughs> I'm not married. I'm not in a relationship. It's best not to talk about all the times I said I love you to somebody and <laughs> no, it, it didn't work out. I'm just asking for the first time. Uh... <laughs> you need to think more before you bring up these topics and then... <laughs> I just hope that we, that like you'll deflect. forget to ask me and then we can just move on. Just know that all of my answers uh, to romantic related questions are probably going to be Abby. That's true. Yeah, good point. But I, I know it's going to be about her. I wanted to hear the actual story behind it, though. Gotcha. Yeah, nothing's happened for me since 2011. <laughs> just Abby. Abby, Abby, Abby. It's good, though. So you don't have like a cute, like, you know, you were 12 or something? Um, I don't think I have one of those. Oh, I got a good story. I'll tell you a similar one. It wasn't me saying I love you to somebody, but... I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess. All right, you tell me your story, then I'm going to guess. Okay. The first girl I asked to marry me... That was when I was, um, what age was I? I want to say maybe like seven or eight. Okay. And my Acceptable. And my babysitter, Megan Bishop, who she was. Oh my God, dude. You were obsessed with her. Yeah, do you remember her? Yeah. You remember me talking about her? I remember you talking about her nonstop. Oh, she, dude. She was an 11 out of 10. I'm sure she was 14 at the time. But yeah. at the time, she was a model. She was like a runner at Gwena Mercy High School, I think. And I remember I got a butterfly ring from probably like the dentist. And she mm -hmm. came over and she was babysitting. And I worked up the courage. And I got on one knee. And I asked her to marry me when I was a, a little tyke. And uh, and she said yes at the time to be polite. Holy cow. She did not marry me. She's married. And I think with kids somewhere, having a great life, I'm sure. But at the time, Damn, she did dude. say yes to me. So that was a big deal. Megan, if you're listening, I know this podcast has an extensive reach. Uh, Shout out Megan Bishop. We know you're out there somewhere. Wow. Yeah, that's a name. Because I never met this 
woman or girl. She was like what two or three years ahead of us, or I guess. You know. uh, she was more. She was a little bit older than that. I think she was a couple years older than Shane. That's like double our age. Yeah. At the time, yeah. seven years older than us. Right. Yeah. I remember you used to write her name on things. Like I feel like a big thing back in the day oh, was God. writing a girl's name like in your pencil case. Did I do that? And I don't know. I remember doing that. Like, well, I was in love. So. You would write a girl's name inside your pencil case and then cross it out oh, so like yeah. nobody could see it. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, I definitely lame. did that with Megan Bishop. So lame. Yeah. All right. So I guess mine is my wife, and yours is your babysitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two uh, two very topical porn genres. <laughs> <laughs> if that's what you're into. Uh. Plead the fifth again. Yep. Oh, God. So off topic. This song's kind of about that not wanting to move too fast. Yeah. Or whatever, but still wanting to, mar- still wanting to marry somebody. <laughs> yeah. Eventually. Um, <laughs> the final thing I want to say about the song, Mike, is, and it's weird talking about because Avril Lavigne was 17 when this came out. She could have been even younger writing it. But did you pick up on a pretty juicy double entendre during the chorus? We'll play it, but the lines, Mike, it's really about how she sings it. The lines are, if I could say what I want to say, I'd say I want to blow you, pause, away. Did you pick up on that? I did. And then the next line, or I don't know if it's the next line, but one of the lines after that, I want to see you go down, kind of a weird pause, and then she mumbles, on one knee. You can construe it for something else. We'll, we'll, we'll let you listen and judge for yourself. I'm glad you brought that up because I did mishear that as well. It seemed a lot more vulgar. I think she was trying to do that to stir up some controversy and stir up some drama, but... I think you're right because my first thought was Avril wouldn't do that. It's a relatively clean record. But then I remembered her next album has a line on Don't Tell Me that says... uh, Something about getting in her pants. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it was always blurred out on TV or on the radio. Yeah. And uh, I don't know why they blurted it out because it just made me look up what she said. And, yeah, we like, had to know. Not really understand it, but like know that it was bad. Then. Yeah. So it's like something I wouldn't even know was bad. I then realized was like a way of saying something naughty. Yeah. So I don't so know. I think Avril's guilty on this one. I'm glad you brought it up. Yep. Guilty. Track number 10, My World. cool one mike i think it's more of like a autobiographical song it's like her telling her story yeah absolutely and this is the song that i had mentioned previously where we find out a little bit about avril's hometown 
of Greater Napanee, Ontario, Canada. Right. Yeah, she literally mentions it by name. And it really is a small town, so. I thought it was cool. It's her debut studio album. She wanted to introduce herself to the world. Here's this kind of different pop punk female vocalist. Here, listen to my story. So I thought it was cool. But yeah, coming from a small town, daydreaming about something bigger. It's that classic theme of, oh, I just want to get out of this town and be somebody and make a name for myself. And she explained how she more or less did that. She certainly did. My biggest takeaway from this, Keenan, is how insane her hair care routine is. That is literally the only piece of this song that I pointed out. And I was like, I need to discuss her talking about her hair. The actual time is I never spend less than an hour watching my hair in the shower. It always takes five hours to make it straight. <laughs> yeah. So that's six total hours of showering her hair and then styling her hair. It's like, what the f***, dude? Yeah. Six hours? <laughs> hey, think about your sister and how long it took them to get ready in like middle school and high school. They would literally straighten or curl their hair for like hours on end. But six hours, I know. that's so long. Didn't you think that was like a little off-brand for Avril Lavigne? Like, oh, all of a sudden, girl. in this one specific scenario, she cares about spending this much time on her appearance? I thought she was a type of person that would just roll out of bed, throw a beanie on, and just be fine. Yeah, you're right. It's a little girly girl. It's not very punk rock. And it is giving a little bit too much thought about her appearance. Not a little too much, man. It's like, like six way too hours. Much. I know. Six way too hours. Much. The day's only 24 hours. That's a quarter of the day. Yeah. It's crazy. Then there's a follow-up line. So I'll braid it in a zillion braids, though it may take off friggin' day. There's nothing else better to do anyway. Which is funny because when you picture Avril Lavigne or anytime you've seen her, she only has like straight blonde or like, you know, interestingly dyed hair, right? You've never seen her yeah. with braids. So I finally Googled. I was like, I have to know what she's talking about braids. Like that can't be a thing. I Google imaged Avril Lavigne braids in one of her high school yearbook pictures. It might've been like freshman or sophomore year. She literally has cornrow braids. So I think she legit would style her hair like that. Is that cultural appropriation? <laughs> it might've been. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. All right. That's an Instagram photo Do there. Do you see it? Yeah. It's black and white, right? Yeah. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Well, she did say a zillion braids, which is probably an exaggeration. So maybe the six hours is an exaggeration, too. Could be. What I always thought was I didn't think literal braids. Do you remember in school how girls would always like play with their hair and pull out their split ends? Yeah, I guess so. You don't remember that? I mean, kind of. Yeah. I remember girls just like, like when she said there's nothing else better to do anyway. I just thought like girls at the end of the day at school and then like elementary school would just pull out their split ends and i didn't know what they were talking about is that considered braiding no i just that's just what i thought of. oh okay gotcha yeah girls are weird mike because i feel like a girl could have a zillion <laughs> split ends but wouldn't make a zillion braids i don't know man <laughs> this podcast is really just about how much we don't understand women yeah we we still don't understand 17 year old women <laughs> yes well, girls, let's let's be clear. 17-year-old girls. Yeah, that's probably a good thing, though. We aged past that, that demo. But yeah, I mean, it's a good song, but that's really all I came away with. Track number 11, Nobody's Fool. Fall back, take a look at me and you'll see I'm for real. I feel what only I can feel. 
cause I flow better when my colors show and that's the way it has to be honestly cause creativity could never bloom in my room I throw it all away before I lie so don't call me with the compromise hang up the phone I got a backbone stronger than yours Now, wait a minute, Mike. Do I hear rapping in this song? Yeah, Avril spits it, Keenan. She really does. Reminded me a lot of Sum 41, because Sum 41 had a tendency to have one or two songs on their albums where they would have like multiple rap verses. Like Fat Lip is the best example of that. Like that song is mostly rap. That must be like a Canadian pop punk thing. It could be. And if I'm being real with you, I don't hate it. I got to be honest. It didn't really land with me. Really? I My initial response is I want to make fun of it, but like I kind of dig it. Like I, I get a kick out of it. What I'll say is I like that she did it because it is just more of a unique thing that she would do, but I don't know. I, I kind of like her just singing better. Oh yeah, I definitely like her singing better, but I will say it makes it easier to distinguish this track from the rest of them. Like, when I was listening to it all the way through, I'm like, okay, when's the rapping one? Yeah, that's true. Like, I couldn't remember the title, but I knew it was a rapping one. Here it is. Nobody's Fool. And is this just another song about her trying to be herself? I think, if so, that's reflective of, oh, I'm just myself. Like, if I want to pick a random song and start rapping, I'm going to. Yeah, she's uh, she's nobody's fool. She's kind of her own person. And uh, it's her learning from her past mistakes, which I thought was... A little interesting. There's a reference to her when she was 14. She says, I might have fallen for that when I was 14 and a little more green. But it's amazing what a couple of years can mean. And I was just laughing like, oh, she's learned so much in three years. Yeah. She's 17 now. I heard that. And it was just a reminder of how young she is writing this album. Like Mm -hmm. how funny you can look back on 14 thinking. You knew anything. Yeah, exactly. But, or like even that you've corrected your course over the difference of 14 and 17 is I kind know. of insane. It's, yeah, not a crazy age gap at all. I listen to this song, again, as maybe another shot at the people around her, like these adults trying to tell her what to do. Like I thought it could be aimed at the music industry and these executives. There's a lot of mentions of her style, her creativity, her wanting to be genuine. And there was a line that literally said, the people were trying to turn her into something else that she didn't want to be. So I was thinking like she probably got out of this record executive meeting and she's like, Oh, screw these guys. Like I'm going to write about whatever I want to write about. Yeah. And this might've worked on me when I was 14, when I was young and naive, but not now that I'm 17. I'm hardened. I'm (laughs) an LA resident now. Yeah. I don't take nothing off of nobody. Hey, was that cool? Cool runnings. Love that movie. (laughs) She's nobody's fool, Mike. Damn right. Whether that be a record executive or an ex from when she was 14. And the kid she babysat asked her to marry him. Aw. He was probably so cute, though, with his butterfly ring. He probably was cute. Uh, Keenan, I don't know. It's been so long. I You might have forgotten, but 
This song has my tattoo line. Tattoo line. Woo. I was waiting for it. Forgot about that segment. I knew it was coming. So here it is. And I will preface it by saying that this is my tattoo line mostly because of how much time I spent thinking about it. <laughs> okay. um, I'm still not sure if I understand it. The line is, I'm not the milk and Cheerios in your spoon. <laughs> is that it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I like that. Maybe a little picture <laughs> yeah. of a, like a bowl of cereal. Yeah. So to give you a, a broader context. <laughs> I got to think about that. Understand one. that I can't not be what I am. I'm not the milk and Cheerios in your spoon. It's not a simple, here we go. Not so soon. Like, okay. So just the Cheerios line is my tattoo line. <laughs> yeah, I got that. And um, maybe I'll put it in a cereal bowl and it'll be written out in like alphabets cereal. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, Damn, I like actually that. Is, that's actually really cool. Wait, is there a cereal that is like just letters? I don't know if it's still made, but it, it was called alphabets. Alphabets. Yeah. Okay. And I remember eating that a couple times when I was little. Yeah, was wait, I do too, actually. Yeah. So that's what would spell out, I'm not the milk and Cheerios in your spoon. Damn. Um. Okay, if I had to guess what that means, isn't there a saying about, I don't know, but I'm thinking if you're holding a spoon, you're in mm -hmm. control of whatever's in that spoon, right? Sure. She's not just the milk and Cheerios in your controlling spoon, Mike. You're not going to consume her and eat her up and swallow her whole? Exactly. That's exactly okay. what it is. Yeah. I'm not giving her that much credit, but I like it. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think that could be it. All right. Well, that's the tattoo line. Hope Perfect. you like it. And Mike, that's what you're saying about society. You're not just going to get chewed up and spit out, you know? Yeah. Like the alphabet cereal or the Cheerios. Man, are we coming to realize that this song's actually way more powerful than we gave it credit for? This actually might be my, <laughs> my, my new historical current favorite. current favorite. <laughs> now I have my middle favorite, my traditional favorite. And this is my current 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 favorite. All right, cut it out, Keenan. Okay, I'm just messing around, Mike. The nice thing about the Avril Lavigne rap is we can rap along to it. True that, brother. It's not too fast for us. Slow and steady. Track number twelve. Too much to ask. another ballad mike she's crushing the ballads yeah it, i'm surprised she goes slow towards the end of this album but um she does do the ballads pretty damn well keenan this one is a little bit i would say even sadder and more somber than the previous slow songs we've heard it's almost eerie at times isn't it it seems like she's really defeated this time yeah i think the whole theme is she has difficulty connecting with somebody that she has feelings for. And you just slowly find out that they're not the person you thought they were. 
you're putting in this effort. She said she's trying to make him smile and she's trying to make him laugh. And he's just stone-faced, uh, feeling sorry for himself. It's almost like she probably didn't intend it to be this way, but it's kind of like role reversal from that song where you said, like, you know, maybe he's in a bad place and he just needs her to be there to listen to him. And she's trying to be a little happy, like, come on, cheer up. Yeah, and exactly. He's not in the mood. But, uh, yeah, she's. I think she's trying. It's just... Um, they're not connecting, Keenan. Yeah, this guy in the song has this very like tough exterior, and he's hard to get through, and he's so self-obsessed and just worried about his own life. There were also some references to smoke, li- literally to smoke and to mirrors. Like she mentions those two words a couple times, and I thought, oh, that's like the perfect metaphor. He's all smoke and mirrors. He's putting up this facade. She feels like she's been duped or tricked or misled by him did you pick up on that i thought that was really cool i assume that was intentional yeah it was like he was deceiving her yeah and exactly there is smoke of another kind as well did you catch that i actually thought like that part was kind of hilarious to be honest like weed being portrayed as a hard drug essentially yeah it was very early 2000s war on drugs (laughs) dare culture yeah what was the line do you have the line in front of you yeah it's funny when you think it's going to work out till you chose weed over me. Yeah. You're so lame. I thought you were cool until the point, up until the point you didn't call me when you said you would. Damn, dude. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, weed can really get in the way. It can really ruin your life, you know? Do you think Avril was like, um, like straight edge? I think she probably was, yeah. And it's interesting because this almost foreshadows her relationship with Derek Wibley, the lead singer of Sum 41. I was going to say, because he had, uh, you know, a rough go of it with substance abuse. Yeah, because he got very into drugs and alcohol, and he basically hit rock bottom and, you know, almost died because of it. But years before he hit rock bottom, he was married to Avril Lavigne, and I think she actually left him because of his alcohol and drug dependency. So, yeah, I think she was straight edge, and I think she didn't subscribe to that type of lifestyle so this is probably her looking down on those types of people although in her mind bad drugs were you know a couple doobies here and there yeah i i get it if it's like the guy's a stoner and he never you know does anything right like uh the kids are aren't all right from the offspring song right yeah yeah. just plays guitar and smokes a lot of pot in his parents basement yep like maybe she doesn't want that as a boyfriend but you know, let him live. He's trying to do his thing too, Avril. Yeah, he's just a skater boy, like smoking weed, you know? One last thing is the song talks about how this guy is very concerned about looking uh, tough and being perceived as tough. Uh-huh. So he will definitely be concerned with whether or not Avril Levine's next guy is tougher than him. Oh, dude. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we're concerned about. If that next guy is going to be a real tough guy, tougher than I am. Don't remember what that's a callback to, but it was discussed as a priority. We talked about when your ex-girlfriend finds a new guy, it's like, what are you jealous of? And it's <laughs> it's it's like, are we worried that he's going to be tougher than us? Like, what, is, what are we worried about? <laughs> that's right. I think that was yeah. it. Or like her, her ex-boyfriend, like, is he tougher than I am? <laughs> what do guys worry about? I don't know. <laughs> so that's all. This guy was tough and he's going to be pissed. <laughs> he's just a tough guy, Mike. All right, let's tie a bow on that one, Keenan. The final one, Mike. Unlucky, track number 13. This one, also provocative, Mike. 
naked. I think naked's a metaphor, isn't it? Or is it about being literally naked? I don't think it's about literally being naked. Maybe, though. Although, I will say, great call by Avril calling one of her songs naked. Because she probably gets a lot of perverted Google searches for <laughs> yeah. just, that, just I actually, that search topic. I was actually on my laptop about to look up the lyrics. And I started writing <laughs> Avril Lavigne naked. And I was like, okay, delete, 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 delete. <laughs> Well, it probably would make that search if you're, you know, if you're trying to find the goods, it probably makes it very frustrating because you just get lyrics to track 13 on our debut album. That's a really good point. Yeah. I noped out of that so quickly. While uh, all those pervs might be looking for Avril literally naked. No, I think it's more metaphorical to, uh, you know, her bearing her soul to another person. That's right. Yeah. Being able to open up to somebody, feeling comfortable, feeling vulnerable around them. I think she's maybe experiencing that for the first time after all these bad relationships, you know, this doobie head that she couldn't connect with. She <laughs> finally found somebody that she can finally show her true colors to. They help her fit in in her own skin. What more can you ask for? So I guess kind of literal, like, yeah, her she finally fits her own skin. Like she's comfortable being completely herself. Totally. Around this person, which is a beautiful thing. Yeah. I think this was a nice message. I had sort of a darker take on it, though, Mike. She ends this album finally being like, oh, I can love this person. I can open up to this person. As we know, she has more songs in her future catalog about breakups. Was this song just setting her up for future failure? Is she just going to get hurt, Mike? It could be, Keenan. You know, it's like a positive song. We're able to reflect back on the trajectory of her life and her career. It you know, it might not work out from here. We'll see. Not sure. It reminded me a lot of that Jessica Simpson song, With You. Oh, yeah. Which was obviously about Nick Lachey and yep. their time together. And, you know, that didn't work out either. But, you know, sometimes relationships don't work out, but there are still good memories you can hold from your time with that person. So, I don't know. Yeah. I would say overall, it's a pretty happy end to the album. I think despite all her uncertainty and insecurity that we heard before, she finally finds somebody. And there does seem to feel like a sense of growth and maturity. Doesn't it feel like this was the conclusion of all these sort of bad things happening to her and all this growing up she had to do? She's finally, I don't know, maybe a woman. Yeah, she found her person that she's finally able to let her guard down and just be honest, which is a really good feeling when you have that, like, you know, they always say like, oh, my wife or my husband, they're also my best friend. And it's always nice to have that like relationship where you can just tell them anything and not worry about them having judgment or preconceived notions about the type of person you are when they already truly know you. Exactly, Mike. 
And a final closing thought for you. There is a line in this song, Mike, that does remind me of you and me. Very relatable to us. Hmm. Do you want me to guess it? No, I'll just tell you. Okay. It's, I'm naked around you, and it feels so right. <laughs> I think it's pretty obvious why this album stands out, Mike. I mean, Avril Lavigne was the ultimate pop punk princess. That might be debatable. We've actually had that debate before. But in my opinion, I think the opinion of most pop punk enthusiasts, she was one of the first and is probably the biggest pop punk princess. It was the first time that we were hearing this female vocalist sing like a pop punk artist. We hadn't heard that before. We heard a lot of male vocalists and obviously all the other bands that we covered. But this is the first time that we had this pop punk female step out into the scene and be a huge success and a huge hit and somebody who could define a genre. Definitely. It was a common trend at this time, but she really did bring pop punk into the mainstream. And not only did she do that, but she kind of paved the way for female artists to come after her. You know, Haley Williams always comes to mind. I don't know if Haley Williams would admit that or not, but I'm sure a lot of young girls at the time saw Avril rocking out and just thinking, man, like it doesn't have to be a guy frontman or a guy singer. Like, you know, I can do this too. So I think that's pretty cool. You know, we talk about this every once in a while about like Avril's career direction didn't necessarily stay true to these pop punk roots. You know, I'm thinking like, Hey, hey, you, you, I don't like your girlfriend. Oh, such a good song, though. It's a No, it's an amazing song. I'm just saying these are rooted in that pop punk sound yeah. and that pop punk emotion. And I think as her time goes on, she'll veer more towards the pop end of things, which we see every so often. But that doesn't take away from her talent and the masterpiece that is this album 20, almost 20 years later. That was a great album, Mike, but I will say it was anything but ordinary. In fact, it was quite complicated. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> so right, keen dog. 
Uh, and to make things more complicated, Mike, I feel like we should dive into some of Avril's more complicated relationships. Chad Kroger. Chad. <laughs> uh, not Chad Kroger. Also not Mod Son. Do you know that she's dating Mod Son? I don't know what Mod Son means, oh, Keenan. dude. <laughs> you gotta look up Mod Son. He's a, a true pop punk artist. You'd love him. <laughs> Mike, the person I was referring to was Derek Wibley. Of Sum 41 fame, correct? That's right, Mike. And we will be discussing Sum 41's third studio album, the darker, more mature departure, Chuck. Chuck yeah, Keenan. <laughs> chuck off. Let's chuck and go. Mike, can you plug our social media if you even remember how to do it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, Keenan. Please get in touch with us, poppunkproj at gmail.com, on Instagram and Twitter at poppunkproject, and um, Patreon. <laughs> oh, speaking of that, patrons, thanks for sticking by our side through the hiatus. We appreciate your support. We do. Uh, it's patreon.com slash poppunkproject. And um, get yourself a hoodie. It's hoodie weather. It's going to be a, a, you know, a chilly fall and winter and what better way to celebrate that than with a nice pop punk project hoodie we got some great selections on the store yeah check out our store we got the uh teespring back up oh it's up it's just there waiting for us <laughs> oh it seems like it's not up that's how uh low activity it is <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to rock the gear that the professionals wear <laughs> look we've been off for seven months we got a um Try to sell out as soon as possible. True. To get back into the swing of things. We are notorious sellouts, so. Hey, Pop Punk Posse. Thanks so much for coming back with us. It's good to see you guys again. Hopefully you didn't miss us too much, but we are pumped to be back. And Mike, it's good to see you again. And it's good to talk to you again. I missed you. It's good to see you again, Keenan. This has been fun. And um, yeah, I think it'll be great to get back into the swing of things. Posse. Mike, rest of the world, we hope you had the time of your lives. Feels good to say it, Keenan. Good riddance. That did feel good. <laughs>